Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in Romans chapter 6 today. Now there are some trends that can be used if you know the signs to look for to figure out how the next presidential election will go. This is a tried and true scientific method. And you will say, well yeah, Jason, you pay attention to the economy, to foreign policies. No, there's a report that was done a number of years ago and And people have looked into this and said, wow, this really works. You can tell who the next president is going to be, Republican or Democrat, based upon whether it's more popular to watch zombie movies or vampire movies. And you think I'm kidding. You can Google this later, and you can find that multiple reports have been written on this, and it holds up consistently, universally, Every time. So then they struggle with why. <laughs> why? Why does this work? Why is it when zombie movies are popular, Republicans get elected? And why is it when vampire movies are popular, Democrats get elected? And then comes the really fun theories that has to do with what Americans are afraid of and subconscious fears of the walking dead versus the sinister dead or whatever. Um, and it and, and there are theories that have gone into this. You can read these, you can read, you can read these articles. It's kind of fun. Um, and I think that there might even be a little bit of, of truth behind that because like in the science fiction show Doctor Who, there's these um, upside-down garbage cans with toilet plungers and egg beaters called Daleks that trundle around. And every British friend I have are like, are these not the scariest things you've ever seen? Every British friend. And when I say no, oh, you guys are just making that up. Ask any American. These aren't scary. There is something about, and I, there, there's some mindset about why some people are scared of one thing, why some people are, are, are scared of others. I want to talk about The Walking Dead today. <laughs> um, I want to talk about zombies, but not zombies. Not, not zombies, not vampires, not ghosts. And I want to talk about, I do want to talk about something that's zombie-like, but I want to talk about Christians being The Walking Dead. We are the walking dead. If we, if we look at Romans chapter 6, uh, we've been talking about unity, and, we've been, and, and part of that unity is that we die and are raised, and that's something that unites us, is that we are dead and buried, and yet we walk, and yet we, we are... So Romans chapter 6, verse 1. You'll never look at this passage the same again. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Well, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. So we've been talking about unity, about what unites the church to Christ and to each other. And you can't, you can't just a word search through the index of your, the, the, the index, appendix of your Bible, uh, the, the concordance, and you cannot dodge Romans chapter 6. This is a chapter about unity. Uh, what unites us in Christ, you have to end up here, uh, and, and then we can't get away from what it says about unity and how we are united. Uh, verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. But he goes on to tell us how that's accomplished. Um, This is a chapter about unity and baptism, which unites us in his death and in his resurrection. It is the identifying mark of Christians, those who were buried with him in baptism. My goal is to be biblical, and my goal isn't to offend, isn't to run anybody off, but I'm absolutely going to try to be biblical on this today. We're going to talk about this passage. We're going to talk about what it says, um, how it you know, and it ties in with Acts chapter 2. It tie, ties in with 1 Peter 3. None of, this, none of this contradicts anything else that we read about in the Bible. Uh, the implications of the passage, I think, raise some questions that we need to work through. And, and a lot of people dodge these subjects because... I just had this discussion with, uh, with David last night. Um, the reason a lot of people dodge the subject is, well, I wasn't raised that way, and I can't admit that, I don't want to admit that the way that I was raised is wrong, the way that my parents taught me is wrong, the way that the church that I used to love, that I grew up in, that I have nostalgic feelings for is wrong, uh, that that preacher may have been wrong. One of the joys of being non-denominational, and we are non-denominational, is that we have no vested interest in listening to organizations, creeds, um, bylaws, this church cares about the Bible, and that's it. And we're not going to get kicked out of anything if we disagree with the greater organization, because there's no greater organization. We're just, our goal is to be non-denominational, biblical, um, and what does the Bible say on this subject? And so, eh, let's, see what we, let's see what we get through as we discuss this, therefore. Uh, there's a question we should ask. <clears throat> When I talk about this passage with other people, one of the first questions that gets asked is, 
well, Jason, baptism can have different meanings in the Bible. What kind of a baptism in this? I've, I've heard, I've seen, I've seen preachers explain this. Well, this is baptism of the Holy Spirit. This passage makes more sense if we're talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a fair question. We should, we should tackle that. We should, we should ask that question. Is this about baptism of the Holy Spirit? Linguistically, no. Not at all. Um, the, 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 the Greek word for baptize, we never translated it. We can get into the reasons why it was never translated. It was transliterated, the, which means they just took the Greek word and they put it in the English Bible. The Greek word for baptize is baptizo. You just change the E to an O and you've got the Greek word. Um, so what does baptizo mean? It means to go underwater. I mean, that's its, that's its core definition. It means to be submerged in water. Greek writers would talk about a sunken ship was baptized. Um, clothiers who would dye clothing would submerge it in dye. They would specify that it was in dye. Um, can it mean something else? Yeah, a couple of times in the New Testament, the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit is used. It's used twice by my account in the New Testament. So in those two instances, it clearly has a different definition. Um, Normally, however, the word indicates to go underwater, underwater. And if it doesn't, then you specify. And here's the example. If I say, I'm going to drive my car to the store, do I need to specify that my car has four wheels? I used to drive a three-wheeled car for, for when I was a locksmith. We had a service vehicle that was a three-wheeled car. It was great. It had a Ford Festiva engine, and that thing could go 80 on the interstate. Don't ask how I know that. Um, it, but it was tiny. You could drive. I mean, we got it because at the University of Illinois, there were a lot of places, because the U of I is big, there were a lot of places that were a little tricky to get to, but this thing could fit on the sidewalks. And you could get between the buildings. And it was so fun. One seater. It was just a tiny little thing. Um, so I have driven a three-wheeled car. But I don't have to specify otherwise that my car has four wheels. Because that's the default setting. Um, words have default meanings. The, the word, word. In the New Testament, the word, word, logos, um, means words. Usually. Now, in John chapter 1, when we read in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, John will go on and say, I'm not using the word word <laughs> the way that people usually use it. And he spends an entire chapter saying, actually, I'm talking about Jesus. Um, life would have been easier. Another word that has been, I think, lost in translation is the Greek word glossa means language. I think the New Testament would have been a whale of a lot easier to understand if we had translated glossa with the word language instead of tongue, and then it gets confused, and now it applies to languages that aren't languages, that don't exist, and, and I think that a lot, but, but the reason that it's translated tongues, and we continue to translate it tongues, is there are churches with an entire doctrine built up around the fact that languages aren't languages. And it would ruin their doctrine if we translated the words clearly. They like the fact that the word is a little vague. It obfuscates doctrine, and then they can do other things. Baptism can be that. 
The word baptizo means to immerse. That is what the word means. doesn't mean sprinkle, doesn't mean pour. Those are different Greek words. But if we don't translate it immerse, if we just leave it baptized, now it seems vague and we can make it mean whatever we want to. But it didn't mean whatever they wanted to back then. It had a specific meaning, and people who haven't liked that meaning have tried to purposely keep it vague so that traditions can, can continue to allow them to do something that the text actually doesn't say. Uh, the phrase baptism, people talk about water baptism. That's a phrase that never occurs in the New Testament, water baptism or baptism of water, because it doesn't need to. If this meant baptism of the Spirit, if that was the default definition for baptism, why would in the two passages where we are talking about baptism of the Spirit, would we have to add the phrase of the Spirit? If that was the default definition. Likewise, if, if you have to add of water, well then none of the passages in the New Testament are of water baptism because that's a phrase that never occurs. The default definition is that being baptized means to go into the water, to be immersed into the water and come out. And it always means that every time unless the text tells you otherwise, which is a couple of times. So this is not baptism of the Spirit. Just linguistically, it doesn't work. I've heard people try to explain that what we're talking about here is in the context. This isn't a passage about the Holy Spirit uh, or, or the concept of being filled with the Spirit. The context doesn't work. The language doesn't work. The definitions don't work. Just at any level, this has to be talking about being baptized in water. So we can't dismiss this passage and say, well, Paul's not talking about getting wet. Because he's absolutely talking about being baptized in, uh, in, in, in water as we read about throughout the New Testament. Okay, so that's the first th- question I think we need to ask. What kind of baptism? And the answer is the default kind. Going underwater, being buried with Christ. Symbolically, the water is like a grave. When we come out of the grave, we are symbolically raised like Christ was raised. But the imagery matters. Second question I think we have to ask is a question of obedience. I get asked this a lot. What if I'm not baptized? Am I still a Christian? What, what do I call a Christian who isn't baptized? Well, I think the phrase non-obedient has to come to mind. What do I call a Christian that refuses to pray? What do I call a Christian that refuses to read their Bible or go to church? Psalm chapter 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Every single verse is about obeying the word of the Lord. Every single verse of of this longest chapter. Um, It matters. Obedience to God. We have to meet together as a church. We, We have to be... The church is the bride of Christ. Imagine saying, I want to be a Christian, but I want nothing to do with his wife. I don't know that you can do that. Obviously, we're not talking about people that are shut shut into their house and they can't get out. We're we're talking about those of us who are able to go to church. I'm not a a stickler on, on perfect attendance. You're on vacation and you're at the beach, go to the beach. You'll never hear a guilt trip from me. I'm talking about just coming to church when you can, 
not not waking up in the morning and saying, eh, I just, you know, rather watch TV, rather stay home. It just, it's the bride of Christ. The church is important. Prayer is talking with God. Imagine saying, I want to be a Christian, but I don't ever want to talk to God. You're going to hate heaven where he's king and where, where we get to see him and talk with him and praise him. What would the Jews, what would have, what would have happened to the Jews in the Old Testament if any, of the, if any of the family said, well, we just had this baby boy, and we want him to follow God, but we're not circumcising this kid. We're going to put our foot down, and that's not going to happen. We know from what we read, that child would be cut off from the community. That child would not be considered Jewish. There would have, there would have been no room for that. Not, it wouldn't have been questioned. If Jesus is Lord, lordship is about obedience. It has to be. That's what lordship is. A failure of obedience says, I'm going to do things my way, not your way, God. I'm in charge, not you. And so then why? Some churches say, well, you you become a Christian and then you get baptized sometime down the road. Why? Why Why would we put that off? I, and I've never, heard a, I've never heard an answer to that. Why, why you would want to be a Christian but not be fully obedient yet. Unless you want one foot out the door. You know, I don't want to entirely be a Christian yet. I don't want God to judge me the way that he judges Christians. I want to be able to still sin some. Or, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Uh, you always have somebody that says, what if I'm... You've already know this one because I'm sure you've heard it as well. What if I'm driving down the road and I'm listening to James Dobson or something on, on, on the radio and I decide in that moment I want to be a Christian and then I get killed in a car wreck? I always hear that example. It's made me scared to listen to James Dobson on the radio. I've heard it so many times, well, at least while driving. It's not you. <laughs> that hasn't happened. I mean, that... We're going to let God... There is an example in the Bible of someone seeming to accept Christ literally in their death throes. He's nailed to a cross next to Jesus. This guy seems to accept Jesus at his moment, of, pretty close to his moment of death. But you're not driving down the road listening to James Dobson right before a car wreck or hanging on a cross next to the Savior. We'll let God deal with those situations. It's not you. And so it's therefore... And, and it's not anybody that brings up the conversation. Everybody who brings up that conversation, it no longer applies to them the minute they bring it up. We're not looking for loopholes. We're looking for lordship. How can we be obedient to the Lord? If I'm trying to finagle my way out of my contract, that is a breach of faith by intention. Jesus Jesus was obedient in baptism, and it was the start of his ministry, not the end, not something that he put off. It is the first thing in his ministry. It is how his ministry began. Paul is clear. Those who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. What if I wasn't baptized? Then how can you say that you were baptized into his death? You have to do a lot. The the amount of gymnastics that people do, I think I've heard it called exegetical gymnastics. The amount of of jumping through hoops to try to make the, I know that this is what it said, but it can't mean this. Therefore, we translate this word this way, and we we, we angle this word this way, and and if we twist it around just enough, it lines up with how I'm already living. 
that's not making the Bible center. That's making the Bible revolve around me, at which point I don't even need this book anymore. If I'm always right, and this book is only right when it lines up with me, I don't need this book. The basic reading of this text is pretty blunt. And you have to do a lot of juggling around the text to make it say something that it isn't saying. So, talking about obedience, we talk about, let's just talk about salvation. Jason, are you linking baptism with salvation? No, not me, Paul. (laughs) Paul is linking baptism with salvation. Uh, New life and new resurrection are tied to death, burial, resurrection with Christ, with with baptism. So follow me with this. Verse 3 through 5, we have a chronology. If you are buried with him in baptism, you share with him in his death. If you share with him in his death, you may now live a new life. Even the footnotes, uh, I, NIV, is not, NIV is a perfectly good Bible. I have nothing against it. I also have nothing for it. It's not my favorite. It's just functional. I like it. I don't love it. It's not my favorite translation. It's not my least favorite. It's very widespread, and I appreciate that. Um, and everybody can get it, and it's super easy to get, and it's easy to get on screen, and so there we go. 19, the earlier editions, 1984, is a little better than the, modern, the most modern NIV, but I've got an NIV study Bible. Top half of the page is text. The bottom half of the page is footnotes. I don't like the footnotes a whole lot. For the historical stuff like, hey, this is when so-and-so lived, it's pretty good. When they get into doctrine down here, it's their interpretation of this, and they're not always right. Say that up front. They're not bad. It's not a bad, it's not a bad, ba- I'm not saying they're not Christian. They've gotten some things, they've said some things in the footnotes that I think, mm, not, not sure that that's the best of theology. Typically speaking, I'm not a big fan of Zondervan's opinion on baptism. And even they, in the footnotes on this passage, can't get away that Paul is saying, you've got to be baptized to be saved. And, and I can tell you up front that Zondervan, by and large, doesn't agree with that. But even they have to say, that's what this text is saying. Not even implying, just flat out saying. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that baptism saves you any more than faith saves you. Jason, aren't we saved by faith? No. Jason, aren't we saved by grace? No. We're not, but, but the Bible says we're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. No, we're saved by God. <laughs> right? We're not saved by grace. We're saved through grace. This is where English lets us down. English, when we say saved by grace, either grace is the source. See, in Greek, there would be two ways. In Greek, that's a dative of source as opposed to an instrumental phrase. In English, it's all by. The word by can mean at least a couple of things. We're saved by God through grace, through faith through the gospel, through baptism. These are all instruments. God is the source of salvation and nothing else. So, I mean, we can have faith in things that don't save us, right? Faith itself is nothing miraculous. You can have faith... It's not a sermon if I don't bring in something science fiction. I... William Shatner is still around. He's older. I like... you You guys know I like Star Trek. If they said they were going to make a new Star Trek movie with William Shatner, 
I have faith that it would be good because I like William Shatner. You may think he's, he's, he's older, he's a has-been, he's, he's not a good actor, maybe you think he's melodramatic and, and this would not be good, but I have faith that William Shatner would make a good Star Trek movie if they put him back in it today. Um, that doesn't say, <laughs> faith doesn't save us if it's the wrong kind of faith. We know that faith itself is not magical. You have faith in all sorts of stupid things. Faith doesn't save us. Grace, getting something you don't deserve. If it's not biblical grace, it's meaningless. I could, you know, Christmas presents are grace. You get something that you don't deserve. Grace doesn't save The gospel, believing that this book is holy, treating it holy, putting it on your shelf, putting it behind glass, but never reading it, doesn't save you. Baptism. If it's not biblical baptism if it's not rooted in a relationship with God it's just getting wet and we'll talk on that a little bit more but biblical baptism as a means of drawing close to God is in the text it's it's essential those we can ask this another way who gets resurrected according to this passage and the answer is those who are united with him in death who is united with him in death those who are buried with him and united with him in baptism. That's what the text says. The church is united together with the Lord in baptism, and that's the point. And this lines up with Acts chapter 2. This lines up with 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to keep reading. Context is important. Let's see if the context holds this up. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin. And have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So baptism is magical, right? You get baptized, you're saved. No, that's actually not what Paul is saying. If now, that, that's, that's what we call doctrinally water regeneration, and, we, and, and we're not into that. There's nothing magical about the water. Paul goes on to talk about our old life is crucified with him. Those who have died with Christ and who have crucified their old selves will live. We are called to put to death our old self and become a new creation. The old self is a sinner, an enemy of God, and we want to get rid of it. Those who refuse to put to, to put to death sin, to put sin on the cross and hold on to it, do not get to live happily ever after with God 
if you get baptized and you decide, I'm not going to change. I'm going to keep doing everything I've been doing. I'm not going to make Christ Lord of my life. I'm not going to be obedient to him. I just want to get wet. Well, then that's all you did is get wet. You're not baptized. Baptism is a commitment to Christ, to to be Christ-like, to follow God. If there's no commitment, somebody asked me the other day, they were they were pushed they they wanted they said I just really want my family member to get baptized and I said but this person doesn't go to church they said well if they get baptized they'll be okay no no that's I said let me be very clear I don't believe that if this person gets baptized and then never goes to a church again if anything they may be in a worse state than before because now they're going to go through life with this false assurance I'm good I can do whatever I want to because I've been baptized and it doesn't work that way. If, if it worked that way, Paul could have comfortably ended the book of Romans partway through chapter 6 and never talked about what comes after that, never talked about obedience. Baptism without obedience is just getting wet. But Jason, I still struggle with sin. I've been baptized, and it's still a struggle. I, where's that transformation? I, I mean, it's, it's still a struggle. I, every day I struggle with sin. Did, did it not take? Of course you struggle with sin. Satan still has limited power in this world. And I say limited. His time, like his power, is limited. Sin is the tool that he uses to separate us from God. And he wants you to get discouraged. You sin, and he wants you to forget that God has offered you forgiveness. We trip, we, we sin. We, it's not an accident. I want to make sure that we say that it's not, you know, when I trip going up the stairs, that's an accident. So when we say sin is like tripping, that the analogy breaks down. But I sin, I get back up, and I, go, and I say, God, I'm sorry, and I, and, and I go again. And I sin, and I get back, and I keep getting back up because God keeps offering forgiveness. The problem is when I decide I'm not getting back up. At that point, I'm no longer worried about following God. In fact, I find it kind of comfortable on the ground. I, I'm tired of skinning my knees. I'm, I don't want to try anymore. I'm, I'm comfortable with my sin. That's the point that there's a problem. Sinning and feeling sorry and getting back up and sinning and feeling sorry and getting back up, that's just the Christian life. I know it's discouraging at times, but that's actually just what our life is going to be. Now, the longer that we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit the less sin has control over us. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that over time, your life is getting better. Sometimes slowly, sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but we don't look back one or two days. We look back to where we were five years ago, ten years ago, and and if we're listening to the Spirit, we are more Christ-like. Grace. Those who were buried with him are forgiven. We have grace. Grace is now our master. Grace is not the opposite of slavery. Grace is the opposite of sin. Sin has to do with punishment. By its nature, sin is about punishment. Grace has to do with the rewards. The rewards of the love of God manifest in our lives. We can't say that grace gives us the right to hold on to our sin. Uh, Grace is what frees us from sin. Lordship means our lives belong to God. He calls the shots. We put sin behind us. And if he calls the shots, that means reading Romans 6. We don't read it with what we want out of it. We read it, what is God saying to me? What does he want me to take out of this? 
I, I don't have the strength to put sin behind me. Not on my own. But filled with God's Spirit, I can get rid of sin. And so our hymn of invitation today, I didn't even write it down, hymn number 90, maybe? It's not a number, that's why I didn't write it down. So we call this the hymn of invitation. This is an invitation. I like that song. There's a, there's a, I have stories behind that. We'll save that for a different day. To, to be obedient to the Lord in baptism is to be buried with him in baptism. If you have not been buried with the Lord in baptism. And, and to be clear, Acts chapter 2 says we repent and we're baptized. Um, baptism means to immerse. No, I don't think sprinkling cuts it because the New Testament never defends that. And I want to be biblical. Likewise, Peter is very clear in Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized. No, I don't think baptizing babies counts because they haven't repented and I don't even think they get what sin is and what a relationship with Christ is supposed to look like. And so I don't think, I just think that's getting a kid wet. Even if you dunk them all the way underwater, I, I still think that that's just getting them wet. Repent and be baptized, says Peter. That's the order. That's, that's the way that we do it. And so the hymn of invitation is, if that doesn't apply to you, or you have questions... Again, not everybody, you haven't done, we're not, we're not wrong. If we, if, if we haven't done it this way, but we were raised otherwise, that's not your fault. It's only, it, it only becomes something that we have to deal with it when we're exposed to the word of God and we say, oh, that's what it says. Now what do I do with that? And that might take some processing and, and working through it. And that's what I want to be here. That's what the invitation is. The invitation is not, we don't have water in the baptistry. We're not ready right now to baptize anybody in this moment. But if that's a conversation we need to have, I want to have that conversation because the conversation is important as we process through what the Bible says. Um, If you say, Jason, I don't think baptism is related to the concept of the resurrection, I think you're in disagreement with Paul. I I just cannot state that more more seriously. Paul equates baptism with the resurrection. Um, I'd love to talk with you about that. Not not because there's any guilt trips, just the opposite. I mean, we're, we're all Christians, we're all guilty. We're all human and we're guilty of sin. But the goal is to be biblical. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.